when we look at news outlets or we see what's getting posted on our social media networks, it's this traditional story usually of what an entrepreneur looks like, often a man, often white, often coming from a place of privilege and wealth, either in their own families or connection to it in some way. And when you actually look at the country and you look at who's in our neighborhoods, who's actually starting um, small businesses, those are all entrepreneurs as well. And they often have these really interesting stories. You're listening to Made Here, a podcast about what it means to be an underserved entrepreneur in America and what it takes to turn a small business idea into reality. I'm your host, Stacey Klein. Today on the show, I'm thrilled to share the story of Scott Shigioka. Scott is a Hawaii-born storyteller, designer, and artist. Now based in San Francisco, Scott founded Saga, an independent creative agency which currently focuses on bridging social and political divides through the power of storytelling and live events. In this episode, Scott will share how a hitchhiking journey led him to founding his own business, what starkly different cultures taught him about entrepreneurship, and why he encourages all of us to celebrate ourselves and our work, even in moments of pause. So thank you for chatting. (laughs) I'm really excited about this. I'm excited too. Uh, So tell me about your roots. Where did you grow up? So I am originally from Hawaii. I grew up in a small town called Aiea, which used to be all sugar plantations. And um, I grew up in a three-generation household, so with my grandparents and my parents, in a super tiny, like 700-square-foot house. So it was very intimate. Uh, We had a lot of love circulating the home, but there also wasn't a lot of spaciousness. So I actually had this huge mango tree in my backyard that my dad and I built a tree house in, and it became my sanctuary, my refuge. I was a quiet kid, actually, which surprises people up until my high school years when I just, you know, burst out of my shell, essentially. And I, yeah, and I feel a deep connection to some of the things I learned from my grandparents, which is, you know, a love for land, a love for nature, and the importance of exploring our inner worlds and deepening into our relationships. That's amazing. That's an amazing experience to have those people in your house all together learning from one another. I imagine that's I don't think that's something a lot of people do anymore. No, yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of people, especially in my peer group, are really craving the presence of elders and older adults in their life. Um, I even crave that now. My grandparents um, have all died. And so I am looking to my, my, my peers who are older than me in their 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s even, um, And yeah, we have a lot of conversations on Zoom right now. And, you know, once this COVID-19 restrictions are lifted, we're going to have dinner parties again and start to meet each other. And I think it's so important to bridge these generational divides, especially as a millennial. 
I'm so immersed in the okay boomer yes. mindset, you know, <laughs> That's, and, and, and there is fairness, right? That we feel that we have inherited a world which feels really chaotic and really problematic, but there are so many people that are part of the boomer generation and even older in the silent generation and, and above who have actually worked to protect our land, to protect the cohesion of our society, to build strong relationships, to advocate for women, for black and brown working class people. Like we're building on their work, right? So we have to also acknowledge that when we paint a broad stroke like that, it actually hurts some of the people who fought for us. So I've always have to remind myself that our elders are really important, especially the ones that worked on our behalf. That's a really great point. So you grew up in Hawaii and then where'd you go from there? Where'd you move? So I moved to Washington State. I went to state school, Washington State University. I had uh, a very beautiful experience there because college, I think, is more than just the academics. It's also the social learning that happens. I was pushed to meet people who were totally new to my environment coming from Hawaii, which is a minority majority state. I was mostly surrounded by brown people like myself. Um, and then I was thrusted into Eastern Washington, right on the border of Idaho, where I became the person that was brown on campus um, and had to deal with a new reality. It was the first time that I'd seen and witnessed discrimination. And I think I just realized that some of the things that happened in my childhood uh, weren't just happenstance, they were actually formed by these systems or this culture that we all live in. You know, I was thinking about my dad, for instance, who, when I was 12, went to prison. And a lot of what I realized taking classes and learning from people and my own experience in college is that there are a lot of other people like myself whose fathers went to prison, many of who are brown or black. And I realized that there was this entire pattern or this system that was happening to people like him. And there was a lot of inner warring that was happening in college. Um, and it wasn't until many years after that, that I identified what was happening in my inner world and in my psyche and was able to start to heal through it. Um, but I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write the great American novel. And so after college, I hitchhiked across the U.S. and tried to write the great American novel, got like 12 pages into it, ran out of money because I had no money and I was in debt from college and had to look for a job. And I ended up in Washington, D.C. That's where I was in my trip. Wow. Hitchhiking. I haven't heard that in a while. That's got to be fun, but also a little scary. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to believe that I could trust people. We have this trust bias, actually, where we believe in the things that people say. And I want to believe, and I continue to believe that that is true, because we need to you know, connect to those who we don't yet know. And so that was the whole idea around the hitchhiking journey. It was a really great opportunity to meet people um, and to experience things I've never had in my life. So that was sort of your first, we'll call it an entrepreneurial hiatus, mm -hmm. where you decided to just go try this thing. And you you had another one of those opportunities recently, right? Right. And that's the thing about entrepreneurship is I didn't realize I was an entrepreneur. But in fact, I really was um, on that journey after college because I had this idea. I had a reason, the why I was doing it. And I went out and actually accomplish it. And I didn't write the book, right? But that doesn't mean that my entrepreneurial journey was a failure necessarily because I learned so much 
I made so many relationships and a lot of that inspired what I just did last year, which I would say was hugely successful. So last year, what I had done was I did something similar, except I um, traveled across the country in my 2006 Toyota Prius and I wanted to live for months at a time in the Midwest, in the heartland, in the South, talking to people who have very different views from me and connecting with them in a really meaningful way. And I was doing this because after the 2016 elections, I was left really confused and felt really distant from a huge part of our country. I felt like I didn't really understand them. I felt like I didn't know who they were. I couldn't even place images of people who had voted in a different way in my head. And so this journey was about leading with my curiosity and connecting with those folks. And I went to Trump rallies. I went to uh, GOP meetups. I went to different reservations. I went to uh, rural, rural towns um, and lived there for a number of months. I'm really curious to know what you learned from those experiences. I think that's something we all face is when we hear someone who has this different opinion or maybe a really strong opinion that's different from us, it's hard to try to see their side and it's hard not to get frustrated or turn our back. Mm -hmm. So what did you learn from those experiences? Yeah, there's something inside of us where we're trying to protect ourselves or defend the values that are important to us. And it can be really challenging to remember that there are others who have very different experiences and upbringings. And because of that, they've developed different perspectives on their own life and the world around them. It was Dr. King, actually, that wrote, community isn't defined by giving praise to those who look and act like us. Community is defined by the amount of space we hold for tension and differences. And so if we're not able to hold tension, if we're not able to hold differences, we're not actually in a community. We're actually just in a kinship of people who are just like us. But this world is incredibly diverse. Our country is incredibly diverse. When you even look at a company, it's incredibly diverse with people who have different perspectives. And you need to understand how do you actually hold those tensions and differences. So I learned these skills along the way, much of it, which is from psychology and therapy like marriage and family therapy as an example, uh, that I use along the way um, so that I could better hear and see people who had very different views than me. And so I could truly learn from them so I could possibly be transformed by what they were saying. And I was actually transformed by a lot of what I heard. Um, one skill, for instance, is self-distancing. So it's this idea that you change a pronoun when you're having that conversation in your head when somebody is saying things that might be really triggering or really provocative or really different from your own views. So the pronoun I would usually use is, why am I feeling so angry? Or, oh my gosh, I am so pissed off at what this person is saying. And you change the I to your name. So instead, with self-distancing, I would say, why is Scott feeling so angry at what is happening right now? Or why is Scott so pissed off at what this person is saying? And by just changing your pronoun from I to your name, you actually remove yourself from the situation or the interaction. And they've done research and it shows that it reduces um, aggression and anger. It allows you to come with more clarity and, and calmness into conversations. And it actually calms down your entire nervous system. Um, so 
I used different tools and practices like that along the way. And it was surprising for people because they did feel really heard and seen, and that wasn't a normal interaction for them. That's a great tip. So you've been traveling around, you've been immersing yourself in these different cultures, exploring these deep divides. How do you see those differences and divides that you're experiencing between people? How does that show up in entrepreneurship? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is at the heart of entrepreneurship. I think when we look at news outlets or we see what's getting posted on our social media networks, it's this traditional story usually of what an entrepreneur looks like, often a man, often white, often coming from a place of privilege and wealth, either in their own families or connection to it in some way that they were afforded through their life. And when you actually look at the country and you look at who's in our neighborhoods, who's actually starting um, small businesses, who's cutting your hair, who's doing your nails, who's at the bookshop, the bike shop, who's serving these delicious meals at restaurants. Those are all entrepreneurs as well. And they often have these really interesting stories where they've had to overcome a lot of these barriers. They've had to find access to capital in ways that it wasn't just calling up a family member because maybe they grew up in the projects. Maybe like myself, we don't have access to that family wealth. So we had to find it or create it in our own ways. And there's a ton of hustle, right? And I think that's why people of color, for instance, really understand and really gravitate towards the word hustle because we get that. We get that it takes a lot of grit and a lot of determination and a lot of fighting to get through these systems that hold us back, that are designed to hold us back. These divisions are in entrepreneurship and we have to identify them and see them and be aware of them and hopefully work together to change them so that we can allow people to be looking at their news outlets, to be looking at their social media networks and see people who look like them, see people who are actually accomplishing their dreams and building businesses who came from the same realities that they did. So that's what I want to change. Yeah, that's incredible. And I think, you know, it's something that comes up a lot in talking to small business owners. And oftentimes, if you're talking to a minority individual and you're talking about them being an entrepreneur, they'll they'll say, no, 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 I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm a small business owner. And when you ask, what do you think an entrepreneur is? They're thinking of these powerful white men who are making billions of dollars mm-hmm, when in mm-hmm. fact, you know, that's not a reality. And I think that can deter a lot of individuals, especially those in underserved communities, Mm -hmm. to become an entrepreneur. So, you know, you seem very enlightened on this now, but when you were younger, what did you think a typical entrepreneur looked like? Yeah, exactly the same thing. I thought that there were these folks mostly in technology. They were building these huge businesses. They had these big offices that I would walk by on the way to work. Um, I used to work at a Ruby Tuesday waiting tables. I, that was my conception of what an entrepreneur is. And I had to, you know, really reclaim that identity. I'm all about reclaiming and rewriting our own stories, um, or reframing our stories. Um, I think there's this power that comes with reclaiming something that has always been ours that has either been taken away from us or that we, for our own barriers, our own self-doubt, our own lack of confidence sometimes in life, which happens to all of us, um, gets in the way of us really seeing our power. And so 
for me, um, I had mentors and, and I listened to different uh, radio pieces and I read different stories of people like me who shared their story, who I saw myself in their stories. They came from very like modest, humble backgrounds. They didn't have a ton of like family wealth at all, uh, like myself. And they worked really, really hard and they had their connection to their own values and their own roots. And they were able to build something that actually changed their own lives and the lives of others. And and I remember there was a moment where I said, like, I want to do that. And then I had to pause and I said, I, I am doing that. I actually, it's not something that I need to strive for. It is something that I'm already doing. Um, entrepreneurs come in all shapes and sizes. You know, for me, I'm very much an entrepreneur that is focused on stories, on narratives. I, you know, set off on this hitchhiking journey. I went off on this journey last year, my Toyota Prius. Those are very much entrepreneurial journeys. And I use those experiences to create videos and to create podcasts and to create different forms of creative content that really speak to people that change their mindsets that change their behaviors like that is the service and the work in the world i'm doing and i'm getting paid for it i'm getting paid really well for it and i think we all can achieve that and we all can believe and and tell ourselves and reclaim this identity of being an entrepreneur so many entrepreneurs begin their journey they have you know there's one idea there's one product there's one goal And you've really jumped in with a handful of different projects, a handful of different ideas that you're doing. Tell us about some of the current things you're working on. Oh, honey, I've been doing, I'm like, I'm just (laughs) like, girl, I've done it all. Like, what? Like, it is wild. (laughs) My journey has been so, so unorthodox. Like, you look at the journey of my career and it doesn't make sense, but it totally makes sense um, at the same time. Um, And I know a lot of people resonate with that. And I actually encourage um, you know, when I, when I go to colleges or talk to high school students, I always encourage them to, you know, take the winding path because there's so much beauty. There's so much learning there. Um, so I've done, uh, music festivals. So I've, I've ran and produced and founded music festivals in Europe, in the United States. I've worked in uh, theater. I've done immersive theater pieces. I've, um, been a designer at an agency called IDEO. I was a writer. Um, I wrote about musicians when I was in DC for the Washington Post. I've really done a lot of different things and, and scattered through those were these, these entrepreneurial projects that helped me refine my muscles as an entrepreneur. So uh, I was a part of a team that created an empathy education um, startup where we connected young people all across the world using technology as a way for them to really see and hear each other so that we could, you know, build peace and and build understanding um, amongst different young people. Um, I've been a part of efforts to rethink and reimagine the way that we organize communities and the way that we um, solve not for someone, but with someone. And I've been at the end of life space where I've thought about how do we die with dignity and how do we support families that are stewarding their loved ones through those final moments in their life. So I've had a lot of rich opportunities to meet all kinds of different people. A lot of what I feel entrepreneurship is, is is seeing a need in the world. And that often comes from a need that you've experienced in your own life. And then finding some creative way, often in partnership with many others, to actually solve that so that other people don't have to go through that or get to you know, live a life that's more prosperous than the one that you lived. Well, you really excel at 
writing about your journey, articulating it, and then visually showing really who you are and what you're doing and what you want to do. I think that's a skill that is incredibly important for entrepreneurs, but it's one that uh, often people struggle with. Mm -hmm. So do you have any recommendations on how others can think about this? I was not always a great writer. Actually, in high school, I was in the remedial English class and I wanted to be a writer so bad. And I remember I tried to get into, it was one of the very few, we probably had, I could count on one hand, um, a number of these AP classes or advanced placement courses where you would get college credit in high school for an AP English class. And I I, I tried to get in and um, one of the administrators said like, are you kidding me? Like you can't, you're not good enough for this class. Like you are in remedial English, your writing's not great. We need to save these these spots for other kids who are more deserving of it. And the English teacher of that class found out about that and just couldn't believe that that was being said to a young person. Um, because I agree now, looking back, it, it can totally shut someone down and prevent them from you know achieving their dreams. And she actually fought for me to have a seat in this class. And I was, I was very behind. I, it was hard for me to like intellectually keep up with the conversations that were happening in this class. But she paired me with the best students. She really sat with me after classes. And I, through that mentorship, through that relationship with the teacher I'm still connected to to this day, um, she really helped me develop my confidence in writing and really helped me, you know, understand why I love writing. I didn't walk away from that class being like the best writer in the class, but I walked away with this huge confidence that I can actually do this. And so when I went to college, I worked really hard. I did a journalism degree and I just kept on reading. I kept on writing even after I graduated from college. And I was in a writer's boot camp, basically continuing to refine my writing in, in DC when I was working as a waiter at Ruby Tuesday. And uh, this woman who was teaching the class, she was just really enamored with sort of my, the way that I moved through the world. I was wearing a onesie in the course in the boot camp, and I was just like speaking with confidence and power. And I was just talking about my life story. And she wanted to see some of the things I've written in the past. So I'd sent it to her, to her Gmail account, and she replied with her Washington Post account. And she said, I'm actually an editor at the Washington Post. And I think you need some more support. Your writing's not yet there, but I want to, I want to give you editors. I want to support you on your path because I think you really have a, a really unique voice to share. And so that sort of propelled me into the world of journalism and, and I really improved my writing there. And I even feel like this opportunity, right? Like the work that I'm doing with GoDaddy as an entrepreneur in residence. Like I, like many everyday entrepreneurs had a lot of self doubt. Like why me? Why should I be on this podcast talking to people? I think it's something that I'm forever going to struggle with is self doubt. But now I at least have these, um, milestones or these experiences I can look back to that remind me of, of why I am courageous and why I step into the things that scare me because I always walk away with something new. I always walk away with insights about myself. And I always walk away stronger and more resilient. You know, what you had just talked about with the teacher who was saying, you're not good enough to be in this class. I think that's something entrepreneurs hear all of the time. If your idea is so good, someone would already be doing it. Really, you're going to quit your job and try to do this. I think that's something people constantly face. And what you talked about of having that other teacher in your corner is so important. But Talk to me about some of the setbacks 
that you faced in this entrepreneurial journey and how you've overcome those? I, I like to ask people, what is the first time, the first wound where someone told you that you weren't good enough or someone told you that you didn't have what it takes? And so I would say, A, focus on what happened in your past in your childhood and, and do what you can to work through some of those old wounds. And then also remember that this is something that you've come up against again and again in your entire life. And you've built resilience, you've come out stronger. And that when people tell you that you're not good enough, you go higher. So everything you talk about is just incredibly inspiring. And I imagine that you are a role model to a lot of people, but all role models also have role models. And so I'm curious to know who are some of the role models that you have and what made you follow them or their careers? I think for me, it's been really personal. Like I look to the people that um, are in my family that are closest to me. Um, I try to understand their stories that they've been through. And I actually got to take my mom on a part of the road trip last year. And I got to ask her a lot of questions about her life, her upbringing, the adversity she went through, her disappointments, her accomplishments. And I think we all need to do that while we have the time and the chance to do that um, with our families and with our elders. Um, and we learn so much about ourselves. You know, I like to say that by asking who are you or who are we, uh, we really get to the question, who am I? And so by learning about all of these people around me who have had a major impact in my life, I learned so much about who I am and what I ought to do in my life. And the purpose feels so clear then. You know, anytime someone says, I don't know what I want to do with my life, I don't know my direction, I don't know my purpose, I tell them to ask that question of who are we or who are you to go out there and to learn these stories. And they'll always come back after that listening tour, feeling like they know exactly what they need to do. So those are my role models in business. And, and those are the stories that power me continually. So I just have one last question for you. And that's, what's next for your journey? Yes, I love this question. So, because <laughs> <laughs> I always love talking about what's next. Um, uh, so I am very, very excited. I'm working on a book right now. And it's all about the power of curiosity. What I realized is that you know, people are tired of hearing the words division and polarization um, if they even want to understand what those terms really mean. And people are looking for differently framed messages that actually make us feel energetic, make us feel hopeful, make us feel inspired. And curiosity does that, right? When you think about curiosity, you think about being a kid running around creating stories. Um, when you think of curiosity, you think about seeking knowledge and understanding. Um, you might think about curiosity as a, a form of childlike wonder. It's something that gives people a lot of energy. But when we use curiosity, because I think we're in this crisis right now where we're, we're not actually using curiosity, we're devoid of a lot of curiosity, it creates what we're seeing right now in our country, which is a lot of division, right? We see people wearing a certain hat and we say, I know everything about you. I know your story. And we write them off or we have these stereotypes about them, but we actually don't know their full story. And we didn't ask. We didn't come from a place of curiosity. It's the same thing that I felt when I wear a rainbow pride shirt. Some people can write me off. They can have these stereotypes about who I am. They know everything about me without even ever getting to know me. And I think if we use our curiosity, we can really transform 
the relationships and interactions we have in our country um, and heal some of these divisions. And those divisions aren't just outward, but they're inward as well. We can heal some of these inner divisions. This turmoil, this war between my sexuality and my spirituality, for instance, is something that was healed through the process of curiosity. Um, curiosity feels really, really key to me. And I want to help entrepreneurs of all kinds really embrace curiosity in their own lives, in their business, in their work. And I want our country to hold this too, because I think it's so important for our future. So there's a book coming out, I'm working on like a TV show treatment, and um, there's like some podcasts coming out on this like topic. And so, yeah, I'm really seeing myself as uh, moving into this realm of creating a movement around curiosity in the same way that Angela Duckworth created a movement around grit, or Brene Brown created a movement around vulnerability, or Krista Tippett created a movement around spirituality, or Angela Davis and Bell Hooks created movements around Black justice and love. And so I think I'm strengthening and building off the work that has come from many of these women, honestly, who have come from the past and have created these very spiritual, very personal movements um, that help us evolve and transcend. Um, and for me, it's, it's curiosity. So that's, that's what's next for me. Um, I'm going to stay curious, embody curiosity, write about curiosity, and just immerse in it in all ways. Well, I always enjoy talking to you. I always feel a little more enlightened after talking to you as well and a little more positive. So thank you for sharing all this. Is there anything that we didn't go over that you want to make sure you share? I just want to remind people to be self-compassionate during this time. I think it's a really, really difficult time, especially for all the working class black and brown people that are listening to this, all the folks who are really struggling right now through mental health crises, who have relational dynamics that aren't serving them and are pushing them back, um, to have self-compassion, to have a mantra that's in mind for me. It is, I am beautiful, I am worthy, I am loved. Whatever that mantra is, like really hold that tight. Um, start a gratitude practice. Um, that helps me every day. I, I end my day by, by thinking of one thing I'm grateful for. It can be something like, that pizza was so delicious. Or it can be, I'm so grateful for my loved ones. I'm grateful to be in love. Things will look up, I promise. Like it always does for me. Um, and that's my hope, my wish, my prayer for people that are out there that are suffering and are looking for some, some form of healing. I'm Scott Shigeoka, and I make my mark by sharing stories that move us to care about ourselves, to care about others, and to care about the world we live in. Scott approaches everything in life with curiosity rather than criticism and then uses the power of storytelling to share his message. We talk of the land of opportunity, but often it's the grit and will of the individual that cracks open that door of opportunity. Join us next week as we continue to talk to the amazing humans who are making their own way. Before we go, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This podcast is powered by GoDaddy and made with the help of our producers at Human Group Media.